Time and time again, people come to Sage International Incorporated because they experience confusion about the entity or entities they have formed either on their own or through another service provider. If you do not understand how to obtain solid liability protection, effective tax reduction, or have never given any thought to the importance of exit or estate planning issues, then the Sage Facilitator Program was designed specifically for you. To learn more, call Sage International Incorporated at 775-786-5515 and schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Sherry Hill today. The SAGE clients enrolled in the SAGE Facilitator Program have discovered that this proprietary process creates tremendous peace of mind for themselves and their families. It's time for you to stop worrying by calling 775-786-5515 to learn more so we can help you today. Call SAGE International. Now, Nevada Real Estate Radio. You'll never go wrong when you get your advice from real estate professionals that you know, like, and trust. Here is your host, Peter Padilla. Good day, everybody. Welcome to our radio broadcast. We have some good things to talk about today. Joining me later on the show, Sherry Hill, the wealth protection diva from Sage International. She's going to get us caught up on some of the things that the big-time real estate investors all across the country are talking about at this time of the year. We're also going to look at some of the news from across the country on not only mortgage rates, but also real estate action in the mansion section, plus more on Nevada Real Estate Radio after this. If you love teaching and want to make a difference in the lives of our young children, become a teacher at Community Services Agency. Hi, my name is Brandi Dunbar, and I've lived here in Reno my entire life. I've worked for child care for the last 17 years, and I just started working at CSA about a year ago, and I absolutely love it. Here at CSA, teachers have more time to plan, more time to teach, and more time to play. Call 786-6023. The most productive hour of your week. Here is your host, Peter Padilla. Joining me in the studio today, the wealth protection diva, Sherry Hill from Sage International. Hi, Sherry. How are you doing? Oh, hi, Peter. Thanks for letting me come on to the show today. Well, not only letting you, but I'm anxious to have you on the show because I hear a lot of things going on at Sage International, and so much of it has to do with you know the people that we're interested in, that we talk to, real estate investors. I always think about the investors toward the end of the year, Sherry Hill, because as you know, I used to be a mortgage lender, and I know from the realtors that I used to work with, the tax season is fast coming upon us. What are people talking about is what I'd like to know that are real estate investor focused. What is, what's on their mind right now at this time of the year? Should you sell or should you hold, right? Because capital gains taxes on anything you sell. Is it time to do a 1031 if you're tired of being a landlord with toilets and tenants? And, you know, are you taking full depreciation on your investment? So there's a lot going on in the real estate investing world, certainly around the country. That's what I've noticed. I know that as people buy properties and sell properties, Sherry, they have to make adjustments in the way that they hold the property. Most people are not holding multiple properties as uh, sole proprietors. But when they start buying and selling properties, in especially in other states, well, a lot of things come to play, right? Because laws are changing every year in every state. And I would imagine that the investors that have multi-state properties are the ones that are maybe thinking about this more than anybody else. 
Yeah, and it's always fascinating to me because I do a lot of deed work around the country, moving real estate under LLCs or even living trusts for a lot of clients. And what I'm always uh, curious about is how people actually take title. I just discovered another client. They took title under a C corporation, which makes zero sense because if they ever go to move that real estate, it's going to be a taxable event. People just seem to do stuff without consulting with experts before they do it, and then they end up in trouble or they have a problem or it's not titled correctly, et cetera, et cetera. So I do a lot of cleanup work. Yeah, that's great to segue because I was thinking that as people are making changes in their real estate, maybe they are, like I said, buying or selling, and so they look at their LLC, well, however they hold the property. And then they, they come into a, a snag or a question comes up, or maybe they talk to you. And then at that time, when they're trying to do this transaction, they realize something was done wrong prior. Do you, I'm sure you find plenty of those things that you have to fix. Absolutely. Do a lot of fixing. One of the things that you know people need to be aware of is when they're going to purchase real estate, oftentimes they have to buy it in their personal name. Then later... If it's going to be moved under an LLC, we want to make sure the name that they purchase it under is what's on their driver's license, because when they go to sell or move that property, uh, it can become a problem. Yeah, I have a, I have three brothers, Sherry, that all have the same first name. And, uh, of course, in Latin families, it's very common to have the first name of Jose. Uh, but it has posed problems for them. In all sorts of ways, including air travel, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So getting that name right is really critical. But the the people that you know have have finally got that down, they've they've got everything registered correctly, they still are wondering about this new administration that is coming in next year. We know there's gonna be changes. And so finishing up the current administration, any new tax, major tax laws The main thing people should be thinking about right now is what's going to happen with uh, state taxes because they sunset. So if you've got a lot of uh, assets in your estate and you've done no planning or you plan for what was, it's probably time to reach out to your financial advisor to see if you're still good when that estate tax sunsets. Sherry, I hear you talking to a lot of people about series LLCs. And I hear that when you're talking to real estate investors. Can you give us a, the background on how those work and what they are and why they're so popular? I love series LLCs for real estate investors, and I've formed them in every state that has them. There's about 14 states that offer the series LLC. And the beauty of them is old way of asset protection is you would put one, maybe two properties under one LLC. And then based on the amount of equity in that LLC, you wouldn't continue to add more real estate. So then if you bought the third property, the fourth, you'd have to add another LLC and on and on you go. And I had clients, you know, they had 25 LLCs, right? So probably almost 20 years ago, but not really pushed into mainstream in the last 10 years has been the series LLC. And what that says is I can title my property under each series if I have liability or a lawsuit or any issues on property one, 
through the statutes and the documentation, it says that that liability doesn't transfer over to Series 2, 3, 4, and 5 against each property. They're fabulous tools. I love them. I'm really quite an expert on them in every state. And not only when I form the Series LLC, I also do the deed work so that it's titled correctly. Wow, that sounds great. You know, it sounds like you're saving a lot of work in many ways because you don't have to do 25 different LLCs. And it also seems like if you're saving that kind of work, you're probably saving the client money. Well, you are because it's one LLC, one federal tax ID number. It can be one bank account. And I use it for, you know, husband and wives that have a lot of real estate. And it just makes it super easy because out of one series, if I want a 1031 that one property or sell that one property, it doesn't affect the whole entity. Yeah, it sounds like it's really simple. And I think in such a complicated world that we live in today, Sherry, simplicity is always the key. And a real estate investor managing multiple properties, life is complicated enough already. I bet the feedback from your clients is pretty impressive when they finally see it see it laid out in that way. Oh, it is. And not only does it save them a lot of time and energy and cost in the future, it does simplify the process, especially if I hold multiple properties in different states. And depending on which state that they're going to buy more real estate, if that state recognizes the series. Sometimes I'll foreign qualify it there. Sometimes I don't need to. It just really depends. And so it uncomplicates the complicated for the serious, effective real estate investor. And I just love creating them and helping my clients understand this fabulous tool that exists for them. More and more of the investors that I know, they are investing not only locally. I mean, there's only so many homes available to invest in in the local area, but they they look across the state line, across the country, Sherry Hill, and, and I have friends that are now investing as far away as the East Coast. So when that happens, if somebody has a Series LLC going in Nevada, you're saying that some of those states may recognize this Series LLC and allow us to put property purchased in those states into the same LLC? Sometimes, or sometimes I have clients where they're investing purely in a state that recognizes a series, so I'll form it in that state. If somebody's interested in investing in the East Coast, it would probably be a good idea to know first, does this state I'm interested in recognize the series LLC? Absolutely. So as I said, there's only about 14 states, but in the last two years, uh, about three or four more came on board. So it is something that individual states are looking at to see if you know they can bring those uh, investment dollars into their state and really help investors uh, secure their assets. Yeah. And Sherry, why are people, you know, I think that they're investing in other states maybe because, well, properties in Nevada are in high demand. There's only so much, like I say, and there's some areas of the country where things are a little slower. There's more open space. Maybe there's more opportunity. But what is it that they're saying? Is there more cash flow in the Midwest, let's say? Is there more 
uh, pro-business growth in Oklahoma. What kind of things are you hearing about why people are investing in other states like this? Well, it is because when, you know, I put on my workforce development hat and I look around the country and what's going on and, you know, where's Tesla building a factory or an Amazon or Walmart or some of the uh, biotech companies. So they create these hubs in these states like North Carolina and Georgia and Mm -hmm. Oklahoma And, of course, when you bring in big companies through workforce development, they need workers. They need housing. They need the ability for those people to have a place to live. And so I always encourage my real estate investor clients to not just, you know, look in your own backyard. What's going on out there in those communities where there is tremendous opportunity because when those big companies come in, they come in really aim to hire people and make sure those folks have a job for quite some time. So housing is critical. Absolutely. Good to know those nuances from all across the country, Sherry Hill. Sometimes I wonder about how you get all of your information. I think to myself, she must read maybe a dozen newspapers a day. Maybe she's on the internet all day long. But I remember you telling me a story, and that is that you travel through your clients vicariously. You're all across the country on any given day. I absolutely am. And that's one one of the things I love about what I do is because I'm talking to people in New York, I'm talking to people in Florida, Texas, you name it. My clients come from all over the country, actually all over the world. And so I do. I vicariously live through them in those conversations and through discovery and questions and what are they doing. That's how I'm able to know what's trending across our nation as far as startups and business development. Plus, like I said, the workforce development hat that I wear, all those kinds of things. It just puts me out there and I'm always about five years ahead of where everybody else is in thought and vision. Sherry Hill, I've heard you're a master connector, and now I know why. You connect with people all across the country, all around the world, and you're always talking about business, and I love that. It's no wonder you're known as the wealth protection diva. If you want to reach Sherry Hill and her great team, visit the website, sageintl.com. Sherry, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Peter. Always fun. Hey, we'll be back with more on Nevada Real Estate Radio after this. If you love teaching and want to make a difference in the lives of our young children, become a teacher at Community Services Agency. Hi, my name is Brandi Dunbar, and I've lived here in Reno my entire life. I've worked for child care for the last 17 years, and I just started working at CSA about a year ago, and I absolutely love it. Here at CSA, teachers have more time to plan, more time to teach, and more time to play. Call 786-6023. If you want the best tax and legal secrets used by successful real estate investors today, contact Sherry Hill, the wealth protection diva at Sage International Incorporated, a local company that's been helping new as well as seasoned real estate investors for over 20 years protect their hard-earned wealth today. To schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Sherry, call 775-786-5515. That's 775-786-5515 to strategize with the Wealth Protection Diva today. Call Sage International. Natakwa. Natakwa News. Fun for all ages. Natakwa News. Pick up your copy today. Natakwa. Here is your host, Peter Padilla. You know, every now and then I come across some big news that really doesn't make a lot of news. You know what I mean? You see things 
or you hear things or you read things that you know are going to be critical in the future. Big changes are coming, you think to yourself when you read this story and when you hear it on the news. But yet, in general, most people aren't really too concerned about it, maybe, and aren't talking too much about it. But I thought I would share this with you in case you missed it. There's a company known as Intercontinental Exchange. It's known and is the owner of the New York Stock Exchange. Now, if this company takes a leading role in the multi-trillion, gajillion dollar market in the United States for U.S. home loans, well, that could be a big issue for a lot of people, including my mortgage loan friends here in northern Nevada and all across the country, local realtors too. You see, Intercontinental Exchange, again known as ICE, has put in more than $23 billion into this huge event that they are planning to happen, and it's going to be completed very soon, but it essentially will overhaul the mortgage market entirely. Their company is based out of Atlanta, and it's made a series of acquisitions that it claims will allow it to replace all kinds of old back office processes. And it's going to combine technology into the process with a number of providers that are already being used by lenders and servicers. So this unique kind of machinery that they put together digitally, well, it gets under the mortgage market that really, quite frankly, is ripe for some kind of disruption. Sherry Hill talks a lot about that when I have her on as a guest, that many companies, they start the process by disrupting things that are already in place. And ICE claims that there's a clunky and slow-moving operation that needs to be overhauled by the entire industry in the mortgage world. This past month, ICE has closed its biggest deal in the mortgage world yet. It was an acquisition of a software provider called Black Knight. They bought it for $11.9 billion. Now that that's done, ICE owns a huge, huge amount of the major pieces of technology that are used in every step of a mortgage from start to finish, from the time it's initiated to the time the last payment is made. So imagine you're a homeowner, home buyer yourself, and you meet up with a lender to get a mortgage. And that loan officer is probably going to be using some kind of computer software. Typically, it's from LMA, a quasi-government organization, that ICEE bought a while back for $11 billion. That was in 2020. So next thing is the mortgage lender has to close the deal. It's going to be registered in this huge database in the United States that I used to work with called MERS. It stands for the Mortgage Electronic Registration System. We used to have to go in there on MERS to double-check quickly whether our borrower owned other real estate already. You see, we many times did mortgage loans for first-time homebuyers. So we always has a, had a requirement to go to MERS, check to see if this borrower owns other real estate. Guess what? ICE acquired this business in stages and finished buying it out in 2018. How about that? They own that now too. So your mortgage now next needs to be recorded with the county government. And the government uses a, a software called Simple Life. Well, guess what? ICE bought it in 2019. So the company Black Knight that we talked about as we got into this segment is the final piece of the puzzle for ICE. 
So if your lender is selling the servicing uh, rights of your mortgage, that means that you know when you do your mortgage with Bank A, after you do your mortgage with them, instead of them taking the payments for over the next over 30 years and making a little bit of profit every month, they sometimes will sell that loan to another bank for a X number of dollars right now. And that way they get cash right now and they can continue to move on with business and they made money. And the other bank takes on the responsibility of servicing that loan, collecting the payments, making sure it's all on time for the next 30 years or so, whatever the length of the loan is. Well, Black Knight, they're the, they're the company that sells servicing rights of a mortgage from the mortgage companies. And so right now, most of the mortgage selling in the country is controlled by Black Knight. In fact, nearly two-thirds of the market for mortgage servicing software, well, that company is now part of ICE. Now, the critics, including smaller lenders and a lot of representatives on Capitol Hill, though they're worried that this growing business that is touching the huge uh, amount of the country is going to uh, put it on antitrust grounds. Well, um, guess what? They relented, the government did, after ICE agreed to divest itself of some assets, which to me, they're unknown. I don't know what those assets were that they were going to sell, but somehow they convinced the Federal Trade Commission to let them go ahead with the deal. Now, right now, there are a lot of systems throughout the process of getting a loan, and uh, it takes about 30 to 45 days to close an average mortgage, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. I think that number is about right here in northern Nevada. It's a sluggish process because the banks have to review all kinds of paperwork, right? There's a lot of paper involved still in the mortgage world, a lot of documents to sign, a lot of documents to move around. Well, ICE is promoting this process uh, that they're working on for all mortgages down the road. In fact, they're going to be calling them something else. They're going to call them golden record of mortgages. That means that the file is officially online. It's digital. So they're trying to get rid of all of the paper that they can. In fact, today about 8% of all of the new mortgages are officially registered in some sort of paperless form. In 2020, it was only 2%. So I think there's a good, uh, good vision there that more and more of the digital work is going to play uh, a bigger role in the mortgage world. That means it is going to be faster and it should be faster. People should be able to get into their homes much faster than 30 or 45 days if they've got all of their ducks in a row. There's no reason to go through these long, lengthy processes. However, you know, you do have the antitrust issues. That's why I'm concerned about ICE. I, Peter Padilla on Nevada Real Estate Radio, concerned that this entity, this conglomerate, can have such a big impact on all mortgages across the country. And anytime you have a monopolistic situation, well, that's when abuses have the potential to raise their heads. I know nobody goes into it with that much in mind. However, it can happen. The executives at ICE have disputed that their oh their fee increases are, are being unfair if they're adding some fee increases to some of the uh, costs that they've had previously because of this new software that they're putting together. But they say that the investment into improving mortgage technology will make all lenders more efficient, which will enable all of them to do more business. So he is dismissing the fact that the company ICE ICE is acting in a monopolistic way. He says software is competitive, and he says if we're successful, we'll all be more competitive. Well, you know, that's a great thing to hear about, and I love the fact when any 
CEO of a company talks about the importance of being more competitive and more profitable. My only issue with that is that we are talking about homes for people. We are talking about families. We are talking about mortgages. And that is the biggest investment most people will make in their entire life is that mortgage on their home. And when it's that big of an impact on the economy and it's that big big of an impact on the family's financial situation, the last thing I want is not to have any choices. And it sounds to me like we may down the road not have choices in the way our mortgage loan process operates. And when everything is handled on one roof, if there's a weak link somewhere, it's going to be a lot harder to find that weak link because I'm afraid that that one entity, that one company will be able to just sweep it up by covering it up with something else because they're, the checks and balances essentially will not be there. When you have that many different companies right now involved in the process of a mortgage, everybody is checking everybody else's work. When you put it all under the name of one company, under one piece of software, then you only have one piece of software and one company checking the process. And it's a little scary to think about that. Hey, technology, it's wonderful. Maybe it all will work. Maybe there won't be any abuse. Maybe there won't be any problems when we put all of our eggs in one basket. I don't agree with that. I think there might be, and I think we should move very cautiously. In fact, I only heard of one member of our Congress that really had any kind of displeasure or concern about this process. And it's surprising to me who it was. Representative Maxine Waters, Democrat from California, and she's the top Democrat on the House Financial Services Committee. In her letter to the head of the FCC, she urged the agency to take action to prevent the company from harming consumers. Let's see how much good that letter will do, but that was the only substantiated voice against what ICE is doing. We'll all hope for the best, and we will keep you posted. So I was reading some legal documents about some issues that had come up between neighbors in a neighborhood, um, just to kind of refresh myself on some of the challenges that you have if you're in a homeowners association, if you live in a city versus a county, and, uh, you know, things like well, septic, uh, you know, um, grazing rights, all sorts of issues that can come up with property. But some of the simplest things that we have to deal with sometimes are involving our landscaping. So, A gentleman asked a question, do you need permission to trim your neighbor's tree? So let's say that uh, you're looking at Robert Frost's uh, story and poem about good fences uh, and mending the wall. Well, what happens in some instances is that a neighbor's tree is right next door. I have one of those right next to my property line. A neighbor has a big tree, and it drops all sorts of nuisance leaves or fruit or whatever, needles from a pine tree, and you have to deal with it. So you ask yourself, well, why don't I just cut that darn tree or at least cut that branch? Well, uh, nowadays, you can take a pole-mounted chainsaw, and you can even put additional attachments to your pole-mounted chainsaw that increases your reach by up to 10 or 12 feet. You can stay on the ground, essentially, and trim branches from a very high uh, uh, tree point that you could never have gotten to without a ladder. And, you know, it's kind of risky to do that. So the thing is that before you trim a branch, you really need to know, is it on your property line side or is it in your neighbor's side? And what's the law? And uh, does it depend on where the cut branch falls on or does it depend on where the cut is? Now, while many of these laws can vary from state to state, of course, 
Most of them employ what's called the Hawaii Rule, and that basically does two things, says an attorney based in Washington, D.C. His name is Thomas Simone. He says, first you have the right to self-help, which is to trim any branches or roots of a neighbor's tree coming into your property. Second of all, he said, your neighbor is on the hook if their tree causes damage to your property, especially if you notified them first in advance of that potential. And while you're likely legally to be okay, a few feet of sizable branch that you might leave in your neighbor's side of the property, it could be an eyesore. And he could take action about you putting trash from his own tree on his property. So if you do that, you want to make sure to clean it. Now, remember this too. He said, when you cut the tree branch and you leave a little wound on that, and if it for some reason does not heal properly, it could be prone to disease, which could mean that you, as the neighbor who cut the tree branch, you could be liable if that owner can prove that when you did that cut, you damaged the health of the tree. My recommendation, if you want to cut a tree branch from your neighbor's tree, talk to them first. I did that with my neighbor. He trimmed it himself. We'll be back with more after this. A gratifying career as a CSA Head Start teacher or early Head Start teacher is your chance of a lifetime. Hello, I'm Yvette Clark, and I've been in northern Nevada for over 50 years, and I've worked at CSA for one year. We do a family restaurant-style eating at Early Head Start, and the kids try all new foods. We would love to have you join us. Give us a call if you're interested, 775-786-6023. While the kids are being cared for at Early Head Start, parents are able to maintain a job, go back to school, do whatever they need to do to support their family. Hi, my name is Miss Camilla. I work for Early Head Start. I am in the baby room. I absolutely love it. I love working with the babies. They are newborns to one-year-olds, and it's just very, very heartwarming. If you want a great job and love kids, come see us at Head Start and Early Head Start. If you want the best tax and legal secrets used by successful real estate investors today, contact Sherry Hill, the wealth protection diva at Sage International Incorporated, a local company that's been helping new as well as seasoned real estate investors for over 20 years protect their hard-earned wealth today. To schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Sherry, call 775-786-5515. That's 775-786-5515 to strategize with the Wealth Protection Diva today. Call Sage International. The most productive hour of your week. Here is your host, Peter Padilla. So when I was in the mortgage world from 2004 until 2014, I saw a lot of things change, of course, in the way that the mortgage process works in the types of homes people were looking to buy. And, well, really, our whole neighborhood, our whole northern Nevada area changed dramatically in that window of time because we went to a booming economy to essentially a bust economy and then back toward the top as we are today. We're really in a top economy as far as real estate goes in northern Nevada. One thing, though, that didn't change a whole lot in reality were the mortgage rates that I was working with between 2004 and 2014. I recall they were somewhere in the neighborhood of 6 to 7, 7.5% more or less. Sometimes we get down into the fives, but that was pretty much as far as we would go down up until the point we got to 2014. It was only after that 
we really saw rates coming down and it was just a few years later we were down in the threes and you could essentially buy your way down to a two percent mortgage rate it was unbelievable there were all sorts of deals being offered during the mortgage meltdown because well so many people had to let their homes go and the banks had to be quite creative in getting those homes those mortgages reactivated so that they could at least get some cash flow going in their direction so it's pretty funny when you think about how different those mortgage rates are from today. We're approaching 8%. 8% for a mortgage. It's no wonder there are so few deals done in northern Nevada. I mean, when you figure a half a million people and there's less than 500 deals being done in a month, that tells you the market is slowed dramatically. It has nothing to do with anything other than the rates of the mortgage. High prices we can handle as long as those mortgage rates are low. But when you're approaching 8% on a mortgage, well, things that get actually crazy. And you wonder, why are they so high? You know, I'm not a mortgage lender anymore, but I follow it very closely. And I understand what the financial market does to the world of mortgage. You see, what I've learned is that it's treasury yields that is the big thing. When treasury yields on the treasury bonds start to float high, low, dramatically from day to day, and then when they actually change direction, maybe in one, the 10-year, the 20-year, the 30-year, but the 10-year is the real critical one because typically when a 10-year mortgage changes, it's going to affect the mortgage rates. So historically, um, what happens is the 10-year rate, let's say if it's going at about from, let's say, backwards 5% and it's just come up from 4.8%, it went up 0.2%. Well, you know, that wouldn't, wouldn't really tell you that the mortgage rates are going to jump dramatically because at that point, well, the cost to borrow to buy a mortgage, a home loan, uh, was fairly close to what those 10-year treasury yields were. And, uh, you know, that's the way it was for years and years. But in today's market, well, it's different. And one big reason is the change in who is buying these government bonds and the, the pool that many of these home loans go into as investments. They turn into the stock market price range and they become a mortgage-backed security. For years, the Federal Reserve and the big banks together, they were significant and maybe indiscriminate buyers of these mortgage-backed securities. But that isn't the case anymore. In fact, the Fed is trying to shrink its balance sheet, and the banks, well, they're just trying to overcome the effects of these rising interest rates all across the board. In the first half of 2023, the banks and the Federal Reserve collectively reserved their reduced rather their portfolio of agency mortgage-backed securities by about 207 billion dollars it's just amazing they are really trying to get out of the mortgage world the current yield on a 30-year agency mortgage-backed security is around 6.4 percent that's as of the last of september and uh it was a premium of 1.8 percentage points over the 10-year treasury yield versus the 21st century average of around just one point so it's almost doubled here since 2020. Now, in addition to that, there's the profit earned by the mortgage originators that make the loans, and then they sell them into the market. And the end result is that a 30-year fixed rate on a new conforming mortgage right now being around, let's say, 7.5% at the end of September, well, they've jumped way ahead of the 10-year treasury yields. 
At that point, the Treasury yield was only at 4.6%. So it's almost up 3% over the Treasury yield. Again, the 21st century average was about 1%. So the gap is nearly 3 percentage points as big. This gap of 3 percentage points, yeah, it's huge. The pandemic average from 2017 to 19 was just under 2 points. Now, that's narrowed slightly this year. And when the mortgage bond portfolios of distressed banks, they were being sold off. You remember that, right? All that stuff going on. Well, still, the possibility is that even without more failures, the banks are just going to continue to trim their portfolios to raise more money. And that can help keep that gap where it is, effectively turning a 5% 10-year treasury yield into an eight-year mortgage for the average consumer. That's pretty much what's gotten us there. So there's a more settled path of Fed money policy that continued to put down volatility and bring in more buyers and mortgage bonds. Well, when those high yields make them competitive with riskier instruments like corporate bonds and, in theory, attractive longer-duration investments like mortgage bonds, well, they're as risky and in a rising rate environment but once investors feel like the rates have peaked, once we feel like maybe this is it, well, the investors are going to get a lot more interested in the mortgage-backed securities, and there you go. So the Fed spreads uh, should tighten, according to the head of the Agency of Mortgage-Backed Security Strategies at the Bank of America. And she said those on the sidelines could get involved again. Um, and this is a big, she's talking about a big group of overseas buyer. Now, down the road, banks could again become bigger buyers and major buyers of mortgage-backed securities if they are going to see less direct mortgage lending under some new capital rules that are being proposed. But for now, uh, with central bankers wondering whether the rates have gone high enough or whether they're going to top out even more, it's likely that the market might not get enough, uh, enough. Uh, well, let's call it clarity, until we get over 8%. Hopefully, that's going to be the top. And then we can maybe talk about rates going down. Wouldn't that be fun, talking about how low the rates got? I remember... I remember when those rates were down in the 2% back in 2014 and 15, 2%, 3%, maybe if your credit was bad, 4%. But now, good credit, 75 to 8%. Wow, you've got to really, really keep your eye on the ball, on the mortgage rates, on the mortgage-backed securities, on the treasury yields, so that you can see when it looks like a trend is coming into play. Personally, I think we have a little bit further to go. But there is going to be a trend down. And when that trend downs, you know what we're all going to do? We're all going to celebrate. I love to brag to my friends across the country about local people, local things, local events that make the national news. I remember back in 1998, I was in Arizona, Arizona Diamondbacks. And I was watching the game, and I saw a gent named Matt Williams playing third base. Well, little did I know that two years, three years later, I'd be here in northern Nevada. And the name Matt Williams is a big hero name in Carson City. He was a third baseman at Carson City High School before he went on to the pros. We have a local celebrity. When we talk about real estate, we have another local celebrity that I'd like to talk about today. And that is Glenbrook, Nevada. The zip code there is 89413. And why do I say these things? Well, it's because they've made national news. It was in September that they hit the Wall Street Journal during their mansion section. 
And they talk about Glenbrook, Nevada, straddling the border between Northern California and Western Nevada in the Sierra Nevada Range, right near Lake Tahoe. The property is tax-friendly, and it's because it's on the Nevada side of the lake, and it encompasses a roughly 30-mile stretch, which is home to a number of small communities. This includes the Glenbrook area, which has the most expensive U.S. mountain real estate as ranked by median listing price, according to Realtor.com. Now, the zip code with the Glenwood subdivision and a half dozen other small neighborhoods in this elite coverage area, well, they're kind of private. The historic gated community at the one end of the first Lake Tahoe area settlements has 300 houses on 750 acres, of which only about 150 acres are developed. Now, the lack of density really contributes to a lot of great privacy. Houses start in that area around $2.5 million, according to Cliff Chase, a real estate broker at Chase International Luxury Real Estate. Now, about 10 to 15 miles south is the Heavenly Mountain Resort, whose four mountain bases sprawl across both California and Nevada. The mountain has roughly 34 mountains of groomed trails. Now, homeowners drive up to 10 minutes to the next Nevada community, Zephyr Cove, for dining room and, and uh, entertainment uh, situations. There's grocery shopping, banks. State Line Nevada is also right there, and it has a multitude of uh, resorts, casinos, high-end dining. It's about eight minutes from Zephyr Cove. This Glenbrook, Nevada, is really one of the premier sites of Lake Tahoe. Now, the average Rather, let's talk about the median sales price, $9.7 million. And there's 124 median days on the market overall when you're looking to buy one of those homes. So it's going to take you a little over two months to close a deal there. But the price per square foot is kind of astronomical when you look at it compared to what we have in Reno Sparks, northern Nevada. Median price in Glenbrook, $1,766 a square foot. Wow. Wow. So, you want some advice? These days, there's very few choices, says the broker at Chase. Buyers are willing to remodel or deviate from their ideal or intended purchase target are more likely to engage in an actual purchase. If you want to tour an area that has nationwide popularity and recognition and is promoted heavily for its beauty and charm, Glenbrook, Nevada. We'll be back with more on Nevada Real Estate Radio after this. A gratifying career as a CSA Head Start teacher or early Head Start teacher is your chance of a lifetime. Hello, I'm Yvette Clark, and I've been in northern Nevada for over 50 years, and I've worked at CSA for one year. We do a family restaurant-style eating at Early Head Start, and the kids try all new foods. We would love to have you join us. Give us a call if you're interested, 775-786-6023. While the kids are being cared for at Early Head Start, parents are able to maintain a job, go back to school, do whatever they need to do to support their family. Hi, my name is Miss Camilla. I work for Early Head Start. I am in the baby room. I absolutely love it. I love working with the babies. They are newborns to one-year-olds, and it's just very, very heartwarming. If you want a great job and love kids, come see us at Head Start and Early Head Start. If you want the best tax and legal secrets used by successful real estate investors today, contact Sherry Hill 
the Wealth Protection Diva at Sage International Incorporated, a local company that's been helping new as well as seasoned real estate investors for over 20 years protect their hard-earned wealth today. To schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Sherry, call 775-786-5515. That's 775-786-5515 to strategize with the Wealth Protection Diva today. Call Sage International. Natakwa. Natakwa News. Pick up your copy today. Natakwa. So first-time home buyers are having a tough time finding homes to buy all across the country. Sellers are having a tough time selling their homes all across the country. And it's all because of those high interest rates. And so you think, well, maybe these first-time home buyers they're not going to be in the market very much anymore. And maybe we'll get to the point where we're not selling any homes. Well, that's not happening, of course. People are still buying homes and selling homes because... Ultimately, they do it when they absolutely need to. Being transferred to a new town, have to sell your home so you can buy another one, that's understandable. A loved one or a relative passes away, and next thing you know, home has to be sold. Somebody's going to be there to buy it. There's all sorts of reasons that transactions happen out of necessity. But when people need to sell or want to sell because of their desires, that's a different story. I mean, people want to buy new homes and upgrade, and people love to shop all the time. But... You can only do it up to a certain point when you have a finite amount of money, a a fixed budget. And the way things are going today with the high interest rates, it's the number one factor that is keeping people away from purchasing homes. Now, you think it's only the first-time home buyers? You think it's only the move-up buyers? Not necessarily. In fact, when you think about it, there are a lot of investors across the country that have the same kind of issues. You remember during the pandemic, there was a huge, massive tsunami of Wall Street money into the family housing world all across the country. Uh, Big conglomerates were buying big blocks of single-family residence so that many of these future home buyers could start out by either renting the home, maybe buying the home directly. But one way or another, U.S. uh, investing from big-time investors was in the world of single-family properties. So many of you don't know that the United States Single-family residential properties are the only type of real estate that has increased in value since interest rates begin to rise in March of 2022. Isn't that amazing? I really thought single-family residence values were going to go down, but I was wrong. They actually have gone up since March of 22 across America. So after this brief dip in the months after the Federal Reserve's initial interest rates, well, home prices have resumed their climb across the country. Residential property values reached a record in July of 2023 based on the latest numbers from Core Logic, a Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Now, investors, they spent billions of dollars buying U.S. single-family resident homes during the pandemic, and they were encouraged by the rent increases as more and more remote workers were looking for space to live and work. Well, that has quite backed off quite a bit as the debt costs have risen, rent growth has been moderated, it makes it harder to generate decent investment returns on your rental properties. Now, this data comes from John Burns Research and Consulting. Large landlords bought 0.4% of U.S. homes in the second quarter. That's down from the peak of 2021 of 2.4%. I mean, that is 
a huge, huge drop in the number of investors buying single-family residences. Now, the listed real estate investment trusts that specialize in single-family residences, well, they've either slowed their buying or become sellers. Now, for big corporate landlords that want to grow their portfolios, a better option than paying today's high prices on the open market might be to build new homes from scratch. And many people are looking at that. The stock market is flashing another warning sign for house prices. The shares of U.S. single-family housing REITs, that's real estate investment trusts, they traded a 20% discount to their gross asset value, according to Green Street's director of research. Now, investors may be underestimating this housing market, maybe, maybe, though the shortage of single-family homes in the U.S. versus the potential glut of apartments if all the projects currently in the pipeline get built. Rent growth, of course, is stronger than single-family homes, and, it's, and, uh, and that's because they're renting in apartments. Now, another reason why apartment values have corrected and single-family uh, home prices haven't may be because of who owns them. Corporate landlords own 68% of apartments in buildings with 100 or more units, but only around 3% of America's individual family homes. So that's where the corporations are going. They're buying apartment complex. Big institutional investors are typically focused on cash flow as well as you know changes in economic and financing conditions. Owner-occupiers are often insulated from tighter financial conditions because they have locked in cheap debt for a year. You know, like those of us that have a mortgage under 5%. Heck, if you've got a mortgage under 6%, you've technically, quote-unquote, locked in cheap debt for years. So of all outstanding U.S. mortgages all across the country, 61% have a rate below 4%. Isn't that amazing? 61% below 4%, according to UBS. This is a strangling supply of owners who would like to sell up, maybe, but they probably can't because they have to sit tight to keep their mortgage costs within their budget. Now, the buyer's budgets are really being stretched for sure. The monthly cost of a new mortgage is now 42% of U.S. median household income. That's 10 percentage points higher than it was in 2008 during the housing crash. Now, with few buyers or sellers, the market is, for the most part, stagnant. 42% of U.S. median household income. Well, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that when I was a mortgage lender and we used to have to figure out a borrower's debt-to-income ratio, the standard number was at about 43%. So, if you buy a home, your debt-to-income ratio should be about 43%. In that particular category, when you're looking at your income versus the debt on the mortgage, the mortgage payment, and you add on your other debts, right? So your your mortgage payment alone, that ratio is probably the 39 or 40 percent, and your back end, if you have very little or no debt, should be about the same. A lot of people have a very low front uh, ratio when they look at their house payment because they can afford it, but they have so much debt that the second uh, debt to income ratio number is dramatically higher. So when this report told me that the average amount of a person's income that they need to have to purchase a home is 42%, that's pretty standard. That part doesn't change. But what does change is the fact that people are hanging 
on to their homes because they cannot afford technically to get a new mortgage because the mortgage they have is at such a much lower interest rate. Home buyers' budgets, well, yeah, they're going to continue to be stretched. They're always going to be stretched. In fact, I remember doing deals with many first-time home buyers, and practically all of them had stretched budgets. They were at their max ratios. They really couldn't go out and, and buy any more. They couldn't do any more credit card uh, fun and games. They couldn't make any trips. They just bought a house, and they've got to keep their budget according. But in time, as things change, as the market changes, as the economy changes, as people's income changes, as inflation happens, suddenly, after years of paying that mortgage at that interest rate, many of today's home buyers that bought two years ago, three years ago, heck, if you bought a year ago, people are really happy that they pulled the trigger because the interest rates were so low and they're able to afford that home. I want to encourage everybody that's struggling right now to know those numbers will come down. The interest rates will come down. They always do. Everything goes up. Everything goes down. So maybe U.S. homes are overvalued for now, but they're not always going to be. And so it's always good to be prepared to take the next step when opportunity comes knocking. That means you have to continue to keep your debt load low, continue to keep your credit high, and continue to keep your job stability exactly that, stable. You want stable job situations when you go talk to your mortgage lender. And if in one year that mortgage rate comes down, let's say it could come down to 5%. Who knows? It could come down to 4 when that happens and you say, yes, now I'm ready, you want to make sure that you don't have to start then on cleaning your credit and on establishing good history at work. The time to do it is right now. We are in the time to prepare for the good times to come because they are going to come. Everything up is followed by down and everything down is followed by up. So be positive and think about that home that you're going to buy somewhere in the not too distant future. I'm glad you joined us today on Nevada Real Estate Radio. I want to thank my guest, Sherry Hill, for joining us and giving us an update on what's happening in the investment world with the the real estate world across the country and also with her knowledge about incorporations and the magic of the series LLC. We'll be back next week with more on Nevada Real Estate Radio. Tell your friends and family to tune in too and hopefully they will make a great deal too when it comes time to buy or sell real estate until then goodbye everybody you have been listening to nevada real estate radio with peter padilla we value your listenership on a talk with peter send an email to peter at nevada real estate radio.com Natakwa. Natakwa News. It's a delightful experience of yesteryear. The articles are outstanding, and the illustrations bring the stories to life. Fun for all ages. Natakwa News. Pick up your copy today. Natakwa. Next time on the Sherry Hill Show, joining me, Monica Dupay and Marilyn York, both representing Nevada Youth Empowerment Project, which provides homeless young women without resources the direction and structure they've been missing their entire lives. Join us to learn more and how you can help. The Sherry Hill Show, Mondays, 1130 a.m. and Sundays at 1 p.m. on 93.7 FM. The Sherry Hill Show, where business is amplified.